0: Welcome to another episode of Neurotalk, the interview series for Stanford University's weekly neuroscience seminar, brought to you by Neurite West. I'm Ada Yee, a neuroscience graduate student here at Stanford.
1: And I'm David Lipton, also a neuroscience graduate student here at Stanford. Today, our guest is Okahide Kikosaka, a senior researcher and section chief at the National Eye Institute at the National Institutes of Health in Bethesda, Maryland. We'll be speaking with him today about the role of speculation and intuition in science, the life histories and personalities of monkeys you know well, and how short-term versus long-term memories inhabit different parts of the basal ganglia. All this and more, coming up. We're
0: here today with Okihaya Digosaka, a senior researcher and section chief at the National Eye Institute in Bethesda, Maryland. Thanks for speaking with us today, Professor Hikosaka.
2: Thank you very much.
1: So uh, we know you've done some pretty classic work on the basal ganglia, elucidating how these circuits guide eye movements and the role of dopamine in signaling reward. But before we get into all that, we just wanted to ask you about growing up. Um, Did you always want to do science? And what do you think drew you to science? Um, And then how did you get interested in the brain and neuroscience?
2: Okay, Um, I I grew up uh, in Nagano. That's a central part of Japan, Mm -hmm. a mountain area. the only thing I was interested in was some uh, athletic. And uh, my, my real hope uh, was to be an a athlete. Oh, really? And initially, I wanted to be a small wrestler.
1: You look a little slender. <laughs> a wrestler. You know, if I say
2: something like this to so people. Laugh at me. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so then I, 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 I gave up and then I, I wanted to be a, a, a baseball player. And I, I continued to be that, that kind of um, boy uh, uh, until I was high school
3: uh-huh.
2: at high school. Uh, and uh, suddenly, I got interested in mathematics
3: hmm.
2: uh, somehow. Uh-huh. And then I wanted to be uh, either a mathematician or phys- uh, physicist hmm. uh, like uh, Albert Einstein.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> but then I, I realized that my mathematics uh, uh, ability is not that high uh, and so I, I was wondering what I should do but I wanted to be I wanted to do science and I, I was told that uh, in med, medical school you can be a scientist so I ended up in medical school uh, but I had no hope to be a, a physician or medical doctor, Uh, I continued to be uh, uh, hoping to uh, become a a scientist, and at some point uh, uh, in the middle of my uh, medical school, uh, there was a uh, program in summer uh, so that uh, students go to some uh, laboratory. So I found uh, the laboratory Brain Research Institute. Uh, a small institute, but uh, the, the, the medical school at the University of Tokyo. And uh, I, I met with uh, uh, Professor uh, Shimazu. So he was my real supervisor. And we, I, we started working on uh, brainstem mechanism of eye movements. Uh, and vestibular and... Uh, 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 Quick phase, that means saccadic eye movements.
0: Can you you explain for our audience what what those saccadic eye movements are? They're reflexes, basically.
2: Yes, uh, what we uh, studied was a vestibular ocular reflex. Mm -hmm. So um, basically, uh, if you rotate your head like this, Mm -hmm. uh, your gaze, eye position remains the same. So Mm -hmm. rotate to the right and uh, the eyes Mm -hmm. to the left. Mm-hmm. The same speed and the same uh, distance. So I've I discovered a group of uh, uh, burst neurons that creates the quick eye movements. That's the beginning of my uh, research. Um, but that was done in sort of anesthetized or half anesthetized animal. Uh, my, I was then interested in uh, how. A voluntary behavior uh, works, uh, how the brain controls the voluntary behavior. Uh, and at, at the end of my uh, PhD career, uh, uh, I was asked by the Professor Ito, uh, who was a famous professor working on the cerebellum. Uh, I said, I want to study the voluntary behavior, and he asked me, what do you mean by voluntary behavior? Okay. (laughs) I have no answer.
0: (laughs) You didn't have an answer initially, but what did you think about over time? Yeah,
2: Yeah, so, that's the, that has been my uh, uh, lifelong uh, uh, goal. Mm -hmm. So, what, uh, how the, what's the voluntary behavior, Mm -hmm. and how the and brain controls the voluntary behavior. Uh, I have no uh, definite uh, final answer yet. <laughs> <but> <laughs> <laughs> uh, after the, uh, uh, I finished a uh, uh, PhD and I got a, a doctor, and then I uh, tried to study the voluntary behavior. And then I contacted a um, um, robot, Bob Wurtz, uh, at NEI actually uh-huh. he's now my colleague <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so uh, I did the postdoc uh, with Bob Words uh, for three years and and he suggested me and there, he has two suggestions one suggestion was how about uh, studying the basal ganglia mm-hmm. in relation to eye movements mm-hmm. uh, because uh, um, just a couple of uh, years before it um, uh, uh, was found that um, substantial nigra, that's the output of the basal ganglia, has uh, connections to the superior colliculus. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no one knew what that means, uh, and uh, I, I knew nothing about the basal ganglia, and Bob was also knew nothing about the basal ganglia.
0: <laughs> so, yeah. so with a pause for audience, now I think many people and neuroscientists in the audience, especially, and even maybe lay people, will know that uh, the basal ganglia is an area uh, that is affected by Parkinson's disease and it's yes. an area very important for movement control. But at the time that you started, I mean, it sounds like nobody knew anything about this right. brain area.
2: Yes. Yeah, that's a very interesting uh, thing. You know, uh, the oculomotor eye movements research uh, uh, field is so was so uh, wide and there are so many researchers, but no one was interested in the basal ganglia. Mm-hmm. So when I met with an uh, uh, oculomotor researcher at the uh, neuroscience meeting, yeah. uh, when I started working with Bob Wurz, uh, they asked me, what are you doing? And then I said, I'm working on the substantia nigra, and they were surprised. Why surprise nigra? <laughs> it's it's totally unrelated to eye movements.
0: <laughs>
1: uh. Was it known that there was already some connection between reward and um, the basal ganglia and No, no, no nothing.
0: Nothing. <laughs>
2: you know, that's another interesting thing. Uh, 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 researchers working on uh, sensory or motor systems uh, never uh, were interested in reward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Somehow, that reward is a field uh, done in the limbic system. People, not sensory motor research.
0: It was thought of as an emotional thing, I guess, not right, a, right. not an action thing.
2: So that means uh, the different uh, fields are divided mm-hmm. and. There's no clear inter- interaction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, if the substation nigra is related to reward, uh, there's no data. Mm-hmm. And eventually, I, I discovered that basal ganglia, uh, substation nigra, and caudate nucleus, there are many neurons related to reward. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's not the, c- the case when I started on
0: that. During your time in Bob Wurtz's lab, you did some, as you said, some very crucial work um, looking at the basal ganglia, how it controls eye movements, and you were injecting uh, GABA, this is an inhibitory transmitter, antagonists and agonists, so things that block GABA and things that activate GABA receptors into these areas, and you were also designing some tasks to help you look at how these, these manipulations affected the um, Voluntary control, I guess I would say. Yes. Um, can you tell us about that time and how you were thinking about those experiments and okay. and, and what happened there?
2: So my attitude is to think uh, something uh, uh, without uh, uh, much knowledge.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's partly because they, when I started working on the uh, Substantial Niagara, there were very few studies, very few st- People have recorded uh, neurons in the substitution nigra, mm-hmm. so I, I had no, uh, I, I didn't need to uh, um, read papers. Hmm. So I, I basically spent all the time uh, doing experiments. Yeah. And uh, the the, uh, the behavioral task, like memory-guided saccade task, uh, I invented. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, there was no literature related to memory. Actually. When I discovered uh, the social IGRA neurons related to memory guided saccade, I wrote down a memory guided saccade, and then reviewer said, uh, You cannot use memory. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs>
3: uh-huh.
2: <laughs> so there are lots of uh, 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 rules or uh, uh, the concept, uh, you should not use that term or something like that.
3: Uh-huh. Uh-huh.
2: Anyway, uh, but I. Eventually, I didn't care, and then, and so the another invention was to use the muscimol or you know, baculine to modulate the behavior. Mm-hmm. And uh, initially, I wanted to study the new uh, uh, the neuronal activity by using iontophoresis, that electrically injects and a small amount of uh, uh, GABA agonist antagonist in, and then check the neurons' behavior. Mm-hmm. But I failed.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, and then I, I thought, what should I do? I have a musomol or bicukening. Mm-hmm. Maybe I can use that for something.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: How about uh, injecting uh, uh, just a small amount? Because the, there are so many neurons are, uh, sensitive to, must be sensitive to GABA. If I inject uh, musomol, Maybe they are suppressed.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And, and then I injected Musimo in the uh, sup- uh, superior colliculus. And the monkey mm-hmm. uh, no longer was able to make a saccade. Mm-hmm. I, I was surprised. Yeah.
1: Uh, wow. <laughs> Wait, so can you describe what is this memory-based saccade that you were talking about?
2: Oh, Memory-based saccade. Um, so this is a memory of uh, short-term memory, working memory. Yeah. We present uh, the uh, white dot uh, and the, while the monkey is fixating. And then dot comes, uh, but the monkey has to keep fixating for uh-huh. uh, uh, one or two seconds. After the fixation point goes off, uh, the monkey has to make a saccade to the remembered position. And okay. during that period, uh, the working memory is maintained. That uh, uh, task uh, was used to test, uh, uh, study the working memory or the the results of working memory. The very simple task, but uh, uh, that kind of simple task can be used um, by many people, many researchers, including human uh, subjects. Right. Very
0: common now. And um, just earlier, you were alluding to your attitude about science and the fact that you were working. Basically, you didn't have literature to go to. Um, you were just doing experiments all the time. Can you tell us a little bit more about this? Like, without you know many papers or literature, or even people saying that you could cross fields the way that you were doing it, how, how did you how did you approach well, basically mm. a black box? Mm.
2: Um, so my yeah. uh, my feeling or belief uh, is. Uh, We still uh, very little, uh, we know very little about the brain functions or brain uh, uh, individual neurons. Uh, um, So I have uh, explored so many areas, including frontal cortex, parietal cortex, and uh, abdominal dopamine neurons,
3: and
2: dosaraphae, and even the brainstem. Uh, but I always find something interesting. So, so for example, if I, we uh, penetrate electrode into a particular part of the brain, for, for example called a tail, which is very small, is very difficult to uh, find, we always, almost always miss that area. Mm-hmm. And we ended up uh, in an unknown area uh, where we find very interesting neurons. For example, Uh, Neurons responding to the sound outside the room, but not inside the room, something (laughs) like that. (laughs) And then uh, I always tell my colleague, uh, the most interesting point is, or most important point is to ask the neuron, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> uh, in front of the monkey or back of the monkey, we do many things, right? And, yeah. uh, some, something has a touch, uh, put something, uh, uh, hand with uh, something sweet inside or something uh, dangerous, mm-hmm. yeah. sticky thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, we find... Um, Sometimes find very interesting things.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Then uh, we uh, think about what kind of behavior procedure we should make, mm-hmm. yeah. and that's the uh, the way we usually uh, do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so not just neurons, but also the subjects. Our subject we use uh, rhesus monkeys, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, it's very important to understand what our monkey uh, colleagues, I I call them, (laughs) colleagues, what uh, our monkey colleagues are feeling or thinking,
0: Uh
2: and uh, that's very important. I think that's probably uh, uh, equivalent to the um, physicians. You know, physicians meeting with the patients they need to uh, understand what the patients uh, feel or um, think or uh, yeah. otherwise uh, they don't understand what the problems of the patients is, is. Yeah. And some people say uh, how do you understand animals' feeling or th- uh, thought? Mm-hmm. but that's the uh, my speculation. The speculation is always important to start uh, research. Mm-hmm. Always, I speculate something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I would say speculation, intuition, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing is the 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 the, the source of my uh, ideas.
0: Um. One idea that I do want to talk about, I was reading some of your reviews from late '90s, 1999, and the ideas crop up in your current work too. Um, you have this idea about parallel systems, um, two loop circuits, one involving the basal ganglia and the other one, I think, involving different brain areas. That um, w- one is meant to choose actions um, based on rewards, kind of like um, uh, this early learning or this quick learning, I guess you were talking about, and the other that refined skills and late learning. Can you tell us about these parallel systems and what your idea was with this?
2: Um, so previously, we studied uh, actually motor skill. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, again, we, I, I invented uh, a very interesting uh, sequential button press task. Mm-hmm. It's always very interesting uh, to see uh, how the monkey uh, performed the task. and. Basically, uh, the monkey has to press the buttons uh, sequentially, uh, at, at least 10 buttons.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And and by doing so, uh, the monkey's performance uh, becomes uh, better and better. Uh, and, and then uh, quicker and quicker. And, and the monkey loved that game. <laughs> 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 Somehow, that kind of... Um, gradual improvement of your behavior. is always, uh, 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 I don't know. Sat-
0: satisfying? Yeah. yeah.
2: Satisfying. Yeah. Uh, animals also uh, feel good.
0: I mean, there's a reason why people love video games. You just get better. <laughs> that's,
1: better. that's right. <laughs> monkey is going to be going to the nearest video game. Part
2: of <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, so uh, during that, after that, uh, we studied humans, uh, functional MRI, and monkey. The uh. recording and um, some muscle recording, uh, including the uh, cortex, uh, basal ganglia, and cerebellum, mm-hmm. and uh, we found data uh, suggesting that at least there are two power circuits: one for initial learning, the other for eventual skill learning, and Uh, different parts of uh, basal ganglia anterior part the flexible initial learning and posterior part uh, uh, stable uh, eventual uh, skill yeah and uh, cerebellum is rather opposite posterior part initial uh, flexible control the anterior part uh, uh, eventual skill uh, performance so the apparently the and the cerebral cortex uh, connected with the, the basal ganglia and the cerebellum probably creates uh, different kinds of information for uh, flexible behavior and stable behavior. Uh, if you have uh, these two kinds of uh, uh, mechanisms independently, uh, that would be very beneficial because depending on the situation, uh, at some point, you need to be very uh, careful about what happened the last time or uh, recently. Uh, uh, but uh, sometimes you need to rely on long-term uh, uh, history. It's been uh, argued in the psychology field, in one part of the psychology field, there are two kinds of behavior, in, mostly in human. Uh, Type one behavior, type two behavior. Type one behavior is more like uh, intrinsic behavior. Type two behavior is more cognitive, uh, consciously controlled
1: mm-hmm. behavior. This is uh, reminiscent of Daniel Kahneman's. Uh, yeah, work, that's right. right? Yes. It's yes. Type one system—that's you know very automatic and your right. first impression upon like seeing a painting if it's real, and then the you um, know then the thought process of. That's right. Considering all the facts.
2: Some people uh, say type 1 mechanism is so important. Uh, But uh, uh, conscious control, cognitive logical mechanism must be better. That's the usual way of thinking. Mm -hmm. But in the real life, when you you make a decision uh, 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 which house you
0: <laughs> Gonna buy, buy,
2: or which uh, person I have to get married or something. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> Serious decision. Yeah. Uh, that's a kind of uh, decision. If you think about uh, that question logically and consciously, you may end up uh, no answer, right? Mm, yeah. <laughs> uh, and some people uh, preferring the type 1 mechanism say uh, that uh, unconscious uh, uh, mechanism is important uh, uh, or beneficial but underlying mechanism uh, uh, actually no one knows and one theory is that um, heuristic uh, theory among so many kinds of information. The recent uh, information tends to be, tends to be intact. The older information tends to uh, be forgotten. So there is some uh, gradient. Based on that kind of gradient, you can uh, have a, a good, good decision. But <clears throat> uh, according to our study, uh, maybe unconscious, Maybe we think that we forget everything. Actually, the memory is stored, and that those memories uh, uh, can trigger our behavior or uh, the, our thought. Next step:
1: uh-huh.
2: uh, we uh, recorded uh, a neuronal activity in the caudate nucleus, and we found uh, a majority of colate uh, neurons, uh, especially visual. Uh, responsive uh, neurons in the caudate nucleus, Th- their responses are modulated by uh, reward outcome. If the, uh, the monkey will get the big reward, the neurons uh, visual response is very high. If, if uh, uh, reward is not expected, the response was very small. And about 80 to 90% of the neurons or uh, show that kind of uh, reward-based uh, changes in response. That uh, signal is sent to mainly to the substationary graph reticulata, uh, which m- may partly be sent to the su- superior nucleus. Uh, I expected that uh, since we saw the majority of neurons in the caudate nucleus, uh, modulated by expected reward, the same thing will happen in the substitutional pars reticulata. But uh, we found uh, uh, many neurons that did not show any modulation by reward. Uh, and I-, I didn't know what that means. Uh, uh, initially, we recorded from chordate nucleus in the anterior part. We call, called it head of the chordate nucleus, big area. But the caudate continues uh, posteriorly, head, body, and tail. It's been known that uh, different parts of the caudate nucleus project to the sub Head, body, and tail also. And we focused on the recording within the head and body. I I did not uh, um, try to reach the caudate tail. So uh, finally, we, in the last five years ago or so, we started uh, a recording from Codate tail. Uh, we used uh, computer-generated uh, colorful fractal objects, uh, and we found that Codate neurons respond to these uh, fractals very selectively. <laughs> uh, for example, when we present eight fractals, and one neuron responded only one fractal. And then we tested the uh, uh, effect of expected reward. So, for example, object A followed by big reward, object B followed by small reward, um, maybe 30 trials, and then reversed. Now B associated with big reward, A associated with small reward.
1: It's a way to... um get at the difference between reward expectation and right. reward right. because when you switch it they expect the big reward on one side mm-hmm. and they're still getting reward it's not like mm-hmm. aversive now but they're just getting a smaller reward
2: we hoped that neurons, tail neurons uh, changed their responses depending on the uh, uh, expected reward uh-huh. but they never changed
1: the, the, these caudate tail neurons you're saying yeah
2: caudate tail neurons unlike collate head neurons. it head neurons, uh, as, I, as I told you, very sensitive to expect reward. Mm-hmm. So I said, uh-huh. OK, maybe it tail is just simply sending simple visual signal. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, it's known that entire stratum receives uh, uh, inputs from dopamine neurons,
3: mm-hmm.
2: including collate tail. And dopamine neurons are known to be sensitive to reward. Mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, why they call the codaet tel- neurons uh, insensitive to expect reward? That's the my question. <laughs> then uh, and on one day I came up with uh, some thought. Okay, so. our usual procedure is change the reward contingency uh, after 20 trials or so uh, frequently, right? But if we continue to uh, give the same reward, maybe these neurons uh, change their behavior eventually, Mm
3: -hmm.
2: not flexibly. And so we change the task. So every day, A, B, C, D, big reward, EFGH small reward, continue next day, maybe three days later, and weeks, and then we found that corticster neurons and those simple visual uh, nigra neurons change their behavior, the response. Mm-hmm. So um, after long term uh, experience of reward, those neurons changed their uh, responses. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Uh, It took about five days.
0: As opposed to a couple hours.
2: Yeah, to reach the uh, uh, peak uh, response. And and another thing is we stopped showing that fractals uh, to the the monkey, uh, some of fractals. And 100 days later, we show them, and the monkeys still know which one is good. So that means uh, the caudate head neurons uh, use short-term memory.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Only recent uh, uh, reward contingency is important.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But uh, uh, chordae tail neurons uh, use long-term memory. Mm-hmm. Then I realized, what does that mean? Why does the brain have two memory mechanisms? Still, many people are interested in short-term memory rather than long-term memory, especially in the cognitive science field.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So the cognitive science, you know, uh, cognitive ability, uh, people tend to say flexibility you need to be flexible in thinking uh, to be a smart. Um,
3: yeah.
2: And the flexible uh, thought uh, is dependent on short-term memory, right? Recent events, you need to uh, think about that. Um, so, for example, uh, when human uh, psychologists uh, 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 ask the s- human subjects to do something; uh, they usually uh, exclude the possibility of uh, history of that par- personal history. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's the long-term memory.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, within the laboratory, you have to do this and that uh, instruction. Then the subject starts doing something, based on recent memory. Mm-hmm. Right, so it. But actually, in the real life, our behavior depends on long-term personal history.
1: Yeah.
2: Right? Mm-hmm. So that, that's what I realized. So basically, we are creating the personal history, emotional history of individual monkey colleagues. So, and um, each monkey... <laughs> <laughs> each monkey experienced... Uh, 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 hundreds of fractals like 400 fractals long term memory is good because it can have uh, very high capacity information we we forget many things right so we we try to remember things but actually uh, the memory is stored you know uh, people talk about procedure or non declarative memory It may be controlled by the basal ganglia. Um, Actually, I think we are uh, confirming that kind of concept, that uh, non-declarative or procedural memory is processed unconsciously uh, for behavior. An mm-hmm. example
0: of non-declarative memory real quick for our audience is like, say, learning how to bike, we, we have this yes, memory, right. it's not like a name or a place, but something that's more what people tend to think of as motor memory. Yes, right. Mm-hmm. So
2: that uh, I would call skill, mm-hmm. skills, right? Um, well, some people may call it habit. So basically, we're studying the mechanism of uh, skills mm-hmm. uh, and, and different kinds of skills how to find good objects. That's not, that kind of skill has not been studied much. M- most people uh, study the motor skill, like uh, piano playing or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but how to find good objects is very important. If you think about in the wildlife, you're in a wild animal. You go out and you're surrounded by so many objects
3: mm-hmm.
2: and only some of them are good for you how to reach how to find that good object is very critical for survival
0: so the the interesting thing i think about thinking about something like basically foraging is what you're describing here yes. is that it's learned but it's not learned usually you're in a novel environment where you haven't necessarily seen these objects before but maybe in the past you've seen something similar and so you make the right decision based on past information that could be correct or incorrect is that yes. Is that how you're thinking about it, or...?
2: Yes, exactly. I see. Yeah. So uh, long-term, I would say lifelong experience accumulates the information into your brain, especially posterior basal ganglia. That allows you to uh, um, behave automatically.
0: Mm So. I'm finding all of this really fascinating because we've basically jumped in our conversation from something very simple that you were studying before—reflexes, eye movements. Even if, you, even as you were first starting to study voluntary movements, you were studying eye movements. But now you're talking about some long-term memory, lifelong experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of want to know, like, you know, you said that this was a lifelong interest of you. Could you ever have anticipated that, you know, your study of the basal ganglia and your interest in voluntary movement would ever take you this far?
2: Uh, I'm still uh, struggling. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, and by doing this, uh, there are more questions uh, arising. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as I told you, I, I explored so many areas. I've, I saw many things, and I, I wrote down these individual um, mm-hmm. uh, findings in my notebooks. I have uh, the notebooks, 36 notebooks. <laughs> 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 anyway, so I have so many kinds of uh, information stored in the notebook, but right. I thought there's no, nothing stored in my, in my brain. <laughs> actually, uh, if I find something that connects, uh, retrieve my memory, yeah. and that uh, kind of um, uh, accidental connectivity between different kinds of inform- information is the source of intuition. That's my belief.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Right? So to to yeah. get good intuition, you have to experience so, so many things. You th- you have to think. You, you have to uh, make a lots of uh, speculations, hypotheses. Then at some point, your um, uh, fragmentary memories can be. Integrated. Yeah.
0: So with that, uh, we are wondering if you could, I mean, we've, we've referred a little bit to what you're planning to talk about when you come visit us here at Stanford. Uh, can you give us just a very quick preview of your talk um, to get our audience a little bit excited?
2: I will um, start talking about uh, basic mechanism, basal ganglia mechanism to control uh, behavior, uh, in this case, eye movement. That's the, uh, the hardware mechanism. And the next step is uh, what the important step is, how that mechanism is controlled. That's uh, one uh, way is, t- is apparently based on expected reward. I found uh, different uh, mechanisms, depending on the different parts of the basal ganglia. Uh, these two mechanisms uh, seem to work independently or sequentially and depending on the situation. And finally, I will talk about some dopamine uh, neurons, uh, recent finding. Uh, Traditionally, uh, like uh, Wolfram Schultz, uh, a very famous study is showing that dopamine neurons are sensitive to expected reward reward prediction error. That is very important to reach the goal. Uh, But uh, we found that dopamine neurons projecting to the caudate tail uh, show completely different behavior than uh, what Wolfram found, uh, which means that do- those dopamine neurons don't uh, encode reward prediction error.
0: Yes,
1: that very will be cool. very interesting to listen to. Right. Absolutely. So at the end of the interview, we like to do three uh, quick rapid-fire questions. Um, These are usually uh, brief, fun, or intended to just make you think of whatever's on the top of your head um, and just um, answer with your type 1 system. (laughs) So so the first question is, if you could go back in time and speak to yourself, uh, speak to yourself, Okahide, as a graduate student or young scientist, what advice would you give yourself?
2: Oh. uh, I would say uh, uh, don't try to be a a small restaurant. The first (laughs) thing you have got don't try to be a (laughs) super restaurant.
0: So, you were talking about being very close to your monkeys and knowing their personal history. Do you have uh, a favorite monkey that you can tell us about?
2: Oh, um, yeah, we realized that uh, uh, monkeys have different personalities as humans. <laughs> um, so I, I don't have a particular uh, preference. Uh, some monkeys are emotionally uh, sensitive or aggressive. Some monkeys are very calm. And I think uh, the combination of these different uh, uh, personalities uh, is very important. Uh, uh, in in terms of uh, uh, animal societies and human societies, so um, I I really don't uh, uh, say some difference, you know, uh, w- who is smart. <laughs> or, uh, even uh, of course um, um, among human, uh, I, I wouldn't say who is smart. Mm-hmm. And, and different kinds of spot, smartness. You know, I'm talking about different mechanisms. Which mechanism one person has a, a better, uh, another person has and this mechanism good. Uh, so depending on uh, which mechanism you have, uh, different personalities and different uh, 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 abilities, and that's also probably true among um, animals. So I don't say humans are smarter than animals. Huh. I don't believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, are, each animal has a smartness, different kinds of
1: smartness. <laughs> Great but spiritual balancing. attitude. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. And our last uh, question is, the apocalypse has descended upon the East Coast. It's snowing very heavily over there. So we're so happy you could do this interview. Do you have some advice for surviving a snowstorm? Which we're not yeah. having in California, by the way. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, we had a big storm, mm-hmm. and uh, I spent four hours on Saturday, three hours on Sunday, two and a half hours on Monday, uh, very heavy uh, exercise <laughs> for shuffling. <laughs> and then on Tuesday and Wednesday, I did cross-country skiing. Oh, really? Oh, yes. Cool. <laughs> <gasps> uh, so, I, I spent uh, entire five days uh, using uh, doing exercise, you know. I. I I wanted to be an athlete. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent.
0: Still some of that in
1: you. The interview comes full circle. Yeah. (laughs) We start and end with athleticism.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, this has been a great interview, and thanks so much for speaking with us today.
2: Yeah, I I enjoyed it very much. Thank you very much.
1: And thank you all for listening. We hope you'll join us next week when our guest will be Eric Nessler, Professor and Chair of Neuroscience and Director of the Friedman Brain Institute at the Mount Sinai School of Medicine.
0: Neurotalk is a production of Neurotalk West. Neurotalk was founded by Eric Senor, Mark Patalina, and Forrest Coleman. This episode was produced by David Lipton, Luis Giam, Eddie Albaran, Andrew Gundren, Viet Nguyen, Jordan Sorkin, Sharon Liu, and myself, Adrian Adam Huchel and Kyle Riley composed and performed our theme song.
1: You can find all of the past episodes of Neurotalk and our radio show Brains and Bourbon as well as everything neuroscience by visiting our website at www.neuritewest.org, spelled N-E-U-W-R-I-T-E-West.org. You can also follow Neurite West on Twitter using our handle, at Stanford Neuro. This is Neurotalk. I'm David Lipton.